Will you please turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, When I was in seminary, I worked as a wedding DJ to try to uh, make ends meet and just get some extra money. And wedding DJs are interesting. I've I've DJed like, I don't know, over 100 weddings for sure. And um, the most expensive wedding was at the top of the Met Tower in St. Louis, overlooking Bush Stadium. And um, it was very fancy and very cool and has a private elevator that goes all the way up to that very top floor. And so it's like the roof, basically. And um, the elevator broke. So the private elevator is the last three floors, and then you can get on the main elevator. And um, the equipment that I had, because the, the elevator had broken, I had like $10,000 worth of sound equipment that I had to carry by hand <laughs> down the thing, and then just trust that no one would steal it from the loading dock. It was, it was, not a, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. It was not a blessing. Not a blessing. So <laughs> DJ of weddings, maybe not the best job ever. However, a lot of interesting experiences. As a DJ of the wedding, I had a grandmother one time have a heart attack during the, uh, during the reception, and we had an ambulance pull up, and she was fine, praise God, but then the wedding, the, everybody was like, do we just end, or what do we do? I was like, it's your wedding, let's just continue, and they were like, thank you, because they felt so guilty celebrating while grandma, but she was fine, and she was good and stable, and everything was okay, but weird. I had a maid of honor one time get really sick right before, I had a um, bridesmaid one time stop the reception to scream in the microphone that we need an EpiPen. That was an interesting one. Um, I had one one time that was at the City Museum in St. Louis. You ever been to the City Museum? Worst place on the planet. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. I'm in the City Museum, again, all this equipment, and they put me on this service elevator from 1910, and I'm like, I might be more than the weight capacity, I don't know. And they're like, just get on, you're fine. So I got on, and I got stuck between two floors. And yeah, and then I had to push all the stuff out and climb out, and then I was in the maze, and I couldn't find anybody, and then I'm just wandering with a subwoofer, and then I'm finding this guy, and I'm like, can you open the doors? And he's like, no one can open the doors. I'm like, what are you doing to fire? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, you're a worker. I got to get in there. It was, oh, it was, it was rough. It was rough. I got in like 20 minutes, finally. It took me two hours. Got into the thing 20 minutes before the wedding started, threw the equipment together. We did that wedding. <laughs> we made it happen. But it was, whew, oh, man. And they put an industrial fan, air conditioner, right over the head table. It was, it was so loud. I, anyway, praise the Lord. It's all good. It's all good. But... Think of your best wedding experiences, great wedding experiences, maybe some of your craziest wedding experiences. You know, there's one thing that makes them all common, and that is this. As a pastor, the first time I ever did an actual wedding ceremony, I was not prepared for the feeling of the presence of God at the altar. As the Lord joins two people together in the covenant of marriage. And it's, it supersedes air conditioners or stuck elevators or EpiPen incidents or whatever because God does something in a wedding. He does something in a marriage ceremony. The Bible tells us that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. They become one flesh. And in that wedding time, as you make those vows, God makes a covenant. He does something, and it's important. It's good. It's spiritual. It's a good thing. We're going to read here in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, about Jesus. 
Here's what it says about him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent to theirs. Praise the Lord for his word. Jesus who upholds all things by the word of his power in a wedding ceremony, also declares a word over two people to join them together. How incredible is that? You know, it's something that's really lost in our culture now. Because in our culture, weddings have become something really just of convenience or tax purposes or whatever. But it's not. It's something bigger. And today I want to talk to you. We're actually going to be, if you want to turn in your Bible, please, to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to be looking in Hebrews chapter 8 about this concept of covenant, that God has made a covenant. But that's a word we don't really use much anymore, and it's a hard concept to get our heads around sometimes because it's an old concept that's from kind of bygone eras. Um, the best way to think about it is a wedding. A wedding is a marriage covenant. Now, a covenant, the easiest explanation that I use with my kids is it's like an agreement. It's an agreement or a treaty between two people. So in this time period in the Bible... When they talked about covenants, usually covenants were a superior nation, an empire, let's say, who was doing work with a lesser nation, and they were going to become joined together in some kind of agreement or treaty that they would be allies and they would work together. And what would happen in the, in the Bible times, especially in the times of like Abraham and Moses and those guys, is that they would take animals and they would cut them in pieces, usually lengthwise. So not in half this way, but in half this way. So think, you know... Um, anyway, I, had, I, was, I was thinking of that Star Wars guy. Darth Maul It's not Darth Maul. It's this way. Anyway, a couple people like that. Tim, he likes it. So they cut. They put the pieces out of these animals, and that's gross, right? That's going to be a gross scene. So they take the animals, they put them out. The bigger king, the bigger empire, empire person, emperor, will come and say, I'm going to be the king to you. You're going to pay tribute. You're going to do all these kind of things. You're going to follow my laws. If I need you, you will come. But I will protect you. I will help you. I'm going to oversee you. And if anything happens that I go against this word and I come against you, may I be like these animals and split into. And then he would walk through them. And then the lesser king would say, you're the greater king over me. I will pay you tribute. I will do what you say. I will come to you if you need me. And you will protect me. And I... Enter into this agreement with you. If I come against it, may I be like these animals. And people would witness it. And they would walk through that gore to make, they call it cut a covenant, is the way that the Hebrew describes it. Because they literally cut these animals to make this covenant. And so now this concept of making this treaty or agreement, God uses that political term so that all the people of the Old Testament, and when we read here in a moment in Hebrews chapter 8, all of those people who are reading the original book of Hebrews would have understood that concept of this treaty that's being made. Now, we don't walk through animals anymore. How do we make treaties nowadays? Contracts, right? So you make a, a, like a mortgage contract, for instance, and you sign your name. 
And so that's how you, that's how you make treaties. Nations can make treaties because they sign the documents and they say, we're going to do this. But the principles behind it really are the same, aren't they? We're going to be allies together if we go against this word. Let all the witnesses know we should be punished according to our word. Um, weird things in international politics today is very different than that. However, it's the concepts there are understood, aren't they? So as we read about covenant, I want you to remember this idea of cutting the covenant. And I want you to think of that in terms of a marriage. Because even though we don't walk through animals, wouldn't that make for a weird wedding? It'd be awful. We don't walk through animals. But when we make this marriage covenant, we also still cut a covenant to make this treaty between two people where now they become one household. And that treaty is for life. Hebrews chapter 8, let's start reading together at verse 6. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, as we begin here, is talking about how Christ is our high priest and how he has offered sacrifices to God and how he has fulfilled the law. And then it says this in verse 6. But, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better. Since it is, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. But he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of, by hand to take them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed them no concern, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. And I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Praise the Lord for his word. Now, walk through a little bit of the history of the Bible with me. Uh, God creates Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve are the first people. Uh, they are told to take dominion and come across the earth. They sin against God. When they sin, they rebel against him. And the sin that they have is not just eating a piece of fruit. The sin that they have is that they desire to be their own gods and make their own decisions. The serpent's lie to them is, God is holding you back. Did he really say these things to you? Can you really trust his word? He knows if you eat the fruit, you'll be like him, and then you can make God decisions. And so they eat the fruit trying to make their own way. Now they've rebelled against God's rule. They have sinned against him, and they've fallen short of what God had told them to do. So what happens to them? They get kicked out of the garden. Before they get kicked out of the garden, though, God says that he is going to bring a solution in the form of a son. That son is going to come, and he is going to crush the serpent's head, though the serpent will bite his heel. And so Adam and Eve go out, and they live, and they have babies, and they are doing things. And time passes, and then we come to this guy named Noah. And Noah is a guy who is um, trying to do righteous things, but he's living in a world of iniquity. It does not mean that he's perfect. And God searches the world, and he chooses Noah just because he chooses him. And he takes Noah, and he says to Noah, I'm going to judge the earth because of this great sin, because it has come now that man's every intention of his heart from birth is evil. 
The Bible even says that God was grieved that he made man in seeing how far man had fallen. And so we know the story, don't we, of Noah. Noah builds an ark, a boat, and it takes him about a year. He builds the boat, and then God sends animals two by two, and we hear about that in Sunday school. And God preserves the animals, and he preserves people from a particular family. God closes them into the boat. Then he makes rain fall on the earth for 40 days until the whole earth is filled with water. A couple weeks ago, St. Louis got torrential downpours. 25% of our annual rain in 12 hours came down, and the streets flooded. And in this case, the flooding did not stop. And it kept going and kept going until the mountains are covered. But that one boat that not only has Noah inside, but also has all of the seed of creation, if you will, of what God has preserved of the animals, is floating on that boat. The waters recede. God makes a covenant with Noah. He says, never again will I destroy the earth with a flood. And what does he put in the sky as a sign of the covenant? A rainbow. And so the rainbow's there as a sign of his covenant. Now time passes, and then we come to this uh, new guy named Abraham, and God has taken a particular family already with Noah and saved them from this judgment. Now he's going to take a group, and he's going to make a great people out of them. And so he tells Abraham, he says, listen, I'm going to make your descendants like the sand on the shore, like the stars in the sky, and you need to trust me. And Abraham fails a bunch of times. But he trusts God, and God sees him through, and God cuts a covenant. They actually walk through the animals. But before Abraham can walk through the animals, God puts him to sleep. And he's in this dreadful sleep, and God himself passes through the animals. What happens in a treaty if one side takes the punishment for both? That's what happens. God says, you will be mine, and you will follow my law. You will do what I say. And if you fail... May I be split like these animals were split. So it's amazing, seed of the gospel that we see in Abraham. So Abraham's descendants grow. They become a nation. And now this big people group, uh, you know the story of Joseph. They go and they end up in Egypt because there's a great famine. And the Egyptians are afraid of them and end up enslaving them to try to oppress the people and hold down their population because they're getting so big. So the Israelites go into slavery. And all these promises that have been given to Abraham seem like they're lost. And then God send somebody, this guy named Moses. Moses comes, and he's just a guy. Moses fails a bunch of times, but God is faithful. And he brings Moses into the court with Pharaoh, and what does Moses say? Do you remember from the movies? Let my people go, that we may come out into the wilderness and worship. And so God takes the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He leads them by the hand. How does he lead them by the hand? By a pillar of cloud during day and a pillar of fire at night. His presence is with the people. He walks them through the wilderness. In the wilderness, there is nothing to eat. Because we say wilderness when we think of jungle kind of trees everywhere and stuff. When the Israelites say wilderness, they mean desert. Where there's nothing there. There's no water. There's no plants. There's nothing. And so God feeds the people. And he feeds them by sending this bread-like stuff called manna that falls from the heavens. And then the people complain, and God gives them even quail to eat. And so they have meat, and they have manna, and they have water even that comes out of rocks, all these miraculous things. But the people don't want to follow God. They're, they're afraid of what might happen. They're terrified of the consequences of coming into these promised lands and these big people that are there. They're tired of the meat. They're tired of the manna. 
At least in Egypt they had spices. And so they complained to God, why did you take us out of slavery just that we might wander in the desert? This is so dumb. It would have been better if we died in Egypt. And so though they saw great miracles, a whole generation is judged to die in the wilderness. And God takes the children that have come up now after 40 years, and then they go into this promised land. And when they come in the promised land, the Lord fights for them and secures the promised land. And all the promises that were given to Abraham seem to be coming true, and it's amazing. And now the nation of Israel is starting to form, and they ask for a king, and they get a really bad king. And then God sends a good king, a man after his own heart named David. And he makes a covenant with David, and he says, you're going to be the king, and there's going to be somebody, one of your descendants on the throne forever. And so what's happening is the story is expanding and expanding and expanding of what God is doing for the people. And the reason I've walked us through all this history is because really the story of the covenants is like a love story. So if you think about uh, a love story, the first time that people meet each other, they don't usually get married right away. Although that happens in some cultures, right? There's even television shows now about that, married at first sight and stuff. I... Uh, I DJ'd a Mormon wedding one time out in this, this beautiful, cool farmhouse place, and it was really neat, and it was old and, and everything, and it was outdoors. And so uh, we did this wedding, and I'm pretty sure it was an arranged marriage. And so these two young people were getting married, um, and I was just running the sound. I don't know anything about the wedding. I just go to the place and put up the sound. That was, that was my job. And so they're doing the sound, and it was really interesting because everything that was in that vows were very similar to vows that, that happened in the Christian church. Very similar, but with some very big differences. And the very big differences were basically, if you want God's favor, and if you want to do things well, you will obey or God will judge you. And so the vows in the Mormon wedding were um, basically vows of duty. I will fulfill these duties as a husband. I will fulfill these duties as a wife, and in that way we will attain to what God has called us to, which is very different because we're going to talk about this. In the, in the Christian faith, Jesus has attained those things for us, and we receive them by faith, and that means then we respond with obedience, but you can't do obedience to get to the salvation. It's opposite in the Mormon faith. And what was funny was after we did the wedding, uh, the reception started, and they had requested a bunch of songs. And so the company I worked for, they would meticulously go through what songs do you want, what songs do you not want, like, do you want country music, do you want dance music, what do you want? And so they had requested a song, and it, I, I don't know these, this kind of music very well, but I knew enough to know that it was a very um, off-color rap song that they wanted. And it was full of curse words and full of innuendo and violence and all kind of stuff, and that's the song they wanted to dance to as their first song. And so now these kids are like, like 18, 19 years old. But they were so afraid of their parents finding out that they had heard that music before that they f had us get a karaoke version that had no words. Have you ever listened to a rap song with no words? It's the weirdest thing. Because there's no, nothing, it's just a beat basically that goes. And so, uh, so I turn on this song for them and I was like, are you sure you want, I, like, I got some Frank Sinatra might go better for you. And they're like, no, 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 this is what we want. I was like, all right. So I played it, no words. And the groom came running up to me about 30 seconds into the song, looking for his dad behind his shoulder, terrified that he was going to be found out. Please turn it off. Please turn it off. Turn it off now. Turn it off now. It was so weird because the legalism of the moment, the legalism of where they were, 
was so constrictive to even the celebration of a wedding. And they were dabbling in stuff that was not good, but they didn't want anybody to know. It was weird. It was a weird situation. Why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because as we're walking through this idea of covenant, God chose a nation that wasn't the greatest nation. He chose a people that weren't the strongest. They didn't have the best artwork. They weren't the best around. He chose them because he loved them. He chose this guy Noah because he loved him. He chose this guy Abraham because he loved them. He formed them into a nation. And now with King David, he has shown that he has always all along had an idea for a kingdom and a nation of people who would be his people. But that wasn't enough. He didn't just want a nation. This story of covenant is a love story. It starts out with how God is going to rescue his people who had fallen into sin and fallen into the serpent's lies. And so he's going to send somebody else, the greatest, the greatest prophet, the greatest king, the greatest one ever, the high priest, Jesus himself, who is God, fully man and fully God. He takes on flesh for us, the second person of the Trinity. He comes, he lives a perfect life, perfectly fulfilling the law of Moses. Perfectly fulfilling everything that God has called us to, where we have fallen short. And then in this great love story, he is going to offer himself to be the sacrifice to make us right with God. Let's read together chapter 8, verse 6. Excuse me, we read that already. Let's continue on. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared in the first section, in which was the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all, on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that had budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. The preparations having been thus made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the, into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates the way to the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of all the good things that were to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, made not without hands, made not with hands, but out of, because it is not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of, of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of the heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who, though, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions that were committed under the covenant. Praise the Lord. 
That's a lot of things. Let me explain it to you this way, and then we'll come to a point so that you can understand. Tim, come up here. All right, Tim. Isn't he great? Look at him. Good job. Tim, you're going uh, to be Israel. You're strapping Israel, right? This is Israel. Israel is, is God's people, and he wants to come into God's presence. Who would like to be God? Malachi, you want to be God? <laughs> come on, buddy. You can do it. Come on. Come on up here. You're going to stand back here. Right here. Malachi, you're awesome. Look at you. All right, you're here. Now, Malachi is behind stuff. To get to God, there's only one way for the people to actually come into God's presence. And they have to do that through a mediator. Demetri, you're the mediator. The mediator is the priest. Now, why is this? Why is this? It's because this is how God set it up. This is how he wanted it to be. Because he is holy and we are not. And we have to be clear on that, that in God's presence, there can be no sin. In God's presence, you cannot just come here. Think of it this way. If you're going to go to the wedding, if you decide as a guest of the wedding that you want to go into where the bride is getting ready, you are going to be in trouble. You don't get to just walk in there unless you're the mother of the bride or a bridesmaid or somebody special. There's only people who have access to that area are those who have been given access already. So a normal guest can't be like, I just want to see your dress, that you're going to get thrown out of the wedding, right? Same kind of way. In this case, the mediator is coming from the people and saying, people, I'm going to come to God for you. And guess what? He's so big, his presence will come to you. And so the mediator comes. And how does the mediator come? We just read it. Through the blood of bulls and goats. Because the mediator has a problem. And the problem is this. The mediator is one of the people. He's one of them. So he has sin too. And he can't just come before God. So in order to come before God, we have to sacrifice animals. Why are we sacrificing animals? Because the Bible says when, Jesus, when God told Adam and Eve originally in the garden, if you sin, you will surely die. So the punishment for sin is death. So the only way to appease a holy God is for death to happen. There has to be blood. In fact, the Bible even tells us that life is in the blood. And the Israelites weren't allowed to eat bloody things, which the British do. It's really... Mm. So now the mediator, who's the high priest, he comes up to the people. And he said, before he can get to them, he has to absolve his own sins. And so he comes and he washes and does all these things. And he takes an animal and he cuts that animal. He kills the animal. And that blood is just for him and unintentional sins that he may not even know have happened. Now he's cleansed, if you will. God has appeased him to come forward into his presence. And so one time a year, he's going to offer a sacrifice now for the people that they can also come. And so he takes now the people's offering, having already made a sacrifice for himself, he takes the people. You have to give them an offering. That's pretty good. All right. Now you take that, and you're going to come. You can't come through the barrier, but you can get close. So this area, holy, this is the most holy place. And the most holy place is this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. You're doing a great job. That's how you do it. And so in the Ark of the Covenant is, is like God's throne. It's where he sits. Now, where is God? He's in heaven. He's everywhere. He's spirit. 
He can do whatever he wants. He's the creator of all things. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He's not an idol. He's God. And so he decides, I'm going to put the manifestation, if you will, of my presence sometimes in this place called the ark. And in the ark is Aaron's budded, budded rod. That was Aaron's staff that he held. He was the high priest. He was the mediator, and he got challenged. And they said, why does Aaron get to be the one to go in there? Anybody should go in there. And God said, I'm going to show you something. And he took Aaron's staff, which is a piece of dead wood, and made it alive to bud with flowers. And everybody went, OK, you, you, you go in there. So Aaron's staff is in there because God has a way of coming to him that you don't mess with. You don't mess with it because this is what he set up. Also inside there is some of the manna, which was God's provision for the people. It's the food they got to eat. And they remembered God fed us and he's so good to us. And it's, it's in his throne. Then also in the throne, in the ark, the place of God's presence in the earth was the tablets. These are the tablets that Moses brought down. They were stone tablets that God had carved the laws into, and particularly the Ten Commandments. So, shall not murder. You have no other gods before me. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. These things, God said, this is how you live. And as my people, you will live this way. Why? Because he was cutting a covenant. Because he was the great emperor king who was coming to the little nation and saying, you're going to do what I say. So I'm putting my laws here too. So now the high priest comes to the ark, and he brings the offering, and he sprinkles blood all over it. This beautiful ark that's this box with these angels, and there's gold everywhere. Now there's blood being put on everything. Why? Because you can't come into God's presence without blood. And God looks on this blood, and he says, I will forgive the people and separate their iniquities from them. The problem is the Israelites who are over here receiving the sacrifice, they stop doing this. And instead, they give in to convenience and what's around them, and they give themselves to idols, and they do all the things that God said not to do. And so this iniquity that's here, it never goes away. And this guy, year after year, has to come and bring his own sacrifice first because he's sinful. So how can you get to the holy God if the guy that's bringing you there is just as bad as you? You can't. So God makes a new covenant. And in the new covenant, he will make a new ark. And now he will bring a new mediator. You're good. You can go sit down. Great job. New mediator. Uh, Nora, come on. You're the new mediator. Great job. Hi, Nora. Nora is going to be the new mediator. Who's the new mediator? Jesus. It's Jesus. And Jesus, the new mediator, comes. He doesn't need a sacrifice. Why not? Because he fulfills all the law. He does everything the Father says. He's perfect in all of his obedience on earth. He is God. And he's one of us. Because you can't have a mediator that's something other than you. So in order to get the people to God, he has to be one of the people. So he took on flesh for us. God, who's upholding all things by the word of his power, also nursed at Mary's breast, because if he didn't have that milk, he would die. He was really a person. He really perspired. He really got hungry. He really had temptations, but without sin. He really grew up. He was really a person and really God. And now 
without needing to make any kind of sacrifice for himself to come into God's presence. He comes instead and takes all of the iniquity from man and it's put onto him. And now he comes before God. Come, you gotta come. And you're gonna offer something. What are you gonna offer? Yeah, he's gonna, like you would offer an animal, right? Blood is the only payment. But he doesn't offer an animal. Instead, he offers himself. He dies, and his blood is shed, which is perfect. God, the perfect second person of the Trinity, who became a man, died for us. Can you imagine the blood of the Creator dripping onto a tree? Could you imagine what was happening? Here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us in the rest of Hebrews that really the holy God, who's still here, all the time that Malachi wave, or Dimitri wave, all the time that the mediator was bringing the blood of bulls and goats, it was just a copy, it was just a shadow of what he's looking forward to in Jesus doing. And that stuff didn't really count so much as he was appeased for a time to give forgiveness because he knew that this event would happen and that this covenant would be cut because God had said, if you fail, I will take the punishment. May I be split open just like those animals were split open. And hanging on the cross, Jesus Christ had a spear thrust into his side where he was already dead hanging, where he was split open. What, else, what other time does that remind you of? Somebody's as if dead and their side is split open. Adam, when Eve is created. And so Adam is put into a deep sleep because there was no one found suitable for him. And so now in this deep sleep, God takes a rib out and does a surgery, the first surgery on earth, closes up its place with flesh, and from that rib, he creates woman. How majestic was she that she got created in a, not just from the ground like everything else, but special. And he brought her to Adam, and Adam says, oh, at last, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones, and it's the first marriage, it's the first covenant. And now Jesus hanging on the cross, has fulfilled Abraham's covenant, his side split open, and God has taken now a people from him to create a new bride by faith, a spiritual bride. Because when the people come, they're crucified with Christ. And all of their sin is placed on him. Colossians tells us he becomes sin on our behalf. So the wrath of God is poured out on sin, everything that we deserve. All of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our unrighteousness, all of our rebellion, all of our bad attitudes, all of our deception, all of our murderous intents, all of the things that God poured out onto the, the earth during Noah got poured out onto Jesus. And imagine for a moment the force of that flood that destroyed the earth was put on one person. Jesus Christ took it all for you that you wouldn't need any of it. The Bible tells us that by faith, when he rises to life, having paid the penalty for sin, we rise with him. Now united to him like marriage. And the Bible tells us that, the, that even physical marriage for us is just a reflection, a shadow of the real reality of how Christ has birthed the church and married her to be her husband, that we would be his. The power of this is the covenant. How do you know that God loves you? 
Is it because you pay your water bill? Is it because you hear just the right song on Joy FM? Is it because you look at your kids and they sit on your lap and you think, oh. Is it because you have a spouse? Is it because you are getting a great job? All those things. Isn't it funny how earthly marriage, you fall in and out of love sometimes? But the marriage remains. The secret I tell young people when they get married is, remember that God brought her to you. Remember that God brought him to you. Let me just say as an aside, by the way, if you're single, you are a blessing. You are a blessing. It's good to be single. It's a blessing to have single aunts and uncles in this church. It's a blessing to know the, the favor of waiting for God to do the right thing. It's a blessing to see time where you're not encumbered by family to be able to serve him. It's a blessing. It also can be angst, can't it? What does our culture teach you? If you don't have a spouse by seventh grade, you're behind. <laughs> We're doing sex ed in kindergarten now, kids. We're doing sex ed in kindergarten. So if you're not sexually active by fifth grade, you're behind. What? If they knew this, if they knew how God created marriage, if they knew what covenant means, it would change everything. Why? Because the way now that we can come, you're the mediator. The way now that we can come to the Father, you have to come with him. You're going to drag him. So you drag him up there to Malachi. Is through the perfect mediator, Jesus. And he has brought now. Oh, man, I need one more person. Who can it be? Ian. Ian, come on. Here you go. And now, look who is this. This is Jesus, the perfect mediator. He sits down at the right hand of the Father. But there's somebody else. Who is this? Holy Spirit. Because this, this is the perfect marriage. This relation, and it's a mystery, guys. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's going to be okay. Let's all big hugs. Big hugs. And so now he sits down at the right hand of the Father. And jointly, what do they say? Go! And here comes Holy Spirit. You got to go. All right. Now you come. Okay, watch. This is, get ready for this. Tim, you go right here on the floor. Perfect. He's going to jump on your back. Okay, you're going to get on his back like payback. Boom! Holy Spirit! You're in, in you, with you, regenerated. You're a new creation in Christ. Oh, you can down. Great job. Okay, you guys can sit down. Great job. Great job. Let's give him a round of applause. Great job. <laughs> Nora, Nora passing me by goes, we're talking about this tonight. <laughs> Nora, you did awesome. Here's the, this is the secret. It's not a secret. This is the Bible. But this is the secret to your life. Are you ready? The reason that God accepts and receives you is not because you are cool. It's not because you prayed right. It's not because you really felt bad about sin. It's not because you're the right color or the right height or the right fitness or the right family pedigree. It's not because you're an American. The reason God receives you is because of the covenant. Because God made a covenant that he cut through Jesus Christ, his son. And that agreement, that marriage is forever. Because where the blood of bulls and goats goes away, we have now a living, raised blood throat flowing through his body every day, interceding for us all the time, mediator Jesus Christ, who has made the covenant for us, who is forever seated on the throne. You are guaranteed to be saved because of him if you believe in Jesus. 
If you submit and bow the knee and say, Lord, I'm yours, and put your trust in him, you are his. Because he fills you with his Holy Spirit. He makes you a new creation. You're married to him. We are a people of covenant. This is why we're called New Covenant Church. It's because without the covenant, everything else falls apart. I had a professor at the seminary one time, and he, uh, actually my dad's professor a long time ago, but a guy I knew, and he was uh, written a bunch of books, and he knew all kind of stuff and was a great guy, and his son was dying in the hospital. And he walked in the hospital, and he knelt by the bed, and he said, Lord, because of your covenant, on the foundation of your covenant. That's a prayer. And that night, the kid walked home. There was no smoke. There's no mirrors. You are in Christ because of the covenant. You're married to him. Your relationship is in him. You belong to him. He's in you. You are a covenant people. It's everlasting as long as he's on the throne, which guess what? He lives forever. As long as he's on the, th as he's on the throne, and guess what? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who can challenge him? Can the devil dethrone him? No. Can you? No. Can your sin? No. Can world politics? Absolutely not. Can the dollar inflation? No. He's on the throne forever. And his power and his covenant is the legal binding that has happened because he has made it so, not because you made it so. He made it so, and then you looked at him and said, oh, I, I, I believe in Jesus. Once you're already made to be his. And so I'm telling you this, walk in him. Let's make sure in our minds as a covenant people who God is, what he has done, the gospel of our salvation. It's not just to make us feel better. It's not just so that we can go home and watch football on Sundays and feel like, oh, I'm pretty good. I went to church. It's so that we can live in union with him. Because just like that ark where he put his presence, now he has made a new temple. And he's put his presence in you. And every day we receive his manna. Every Sunday. It's in you. You've eaten it. Because you are the new ark, the resting place of his presence where the Holy Spirit is. Now according to the new covenant which Jeremiah prophesied, which we read before, he has written his word on your heart and your mind, not on a stone tablet anymore that's in a box, but now in a living person because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's with you and he's put his very word into you because this is what the covenant demanded. And his law comes out of you, out of your mouth, out of your heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and guess what's written on you. It's not Netflix shows. It's not blog posts. It's his word. It's his law. It's his grace. It's his presence. That's what you are naturally by your birthright as a covenant citizen meant to be. And Aaron's budded, budded rod is in you in this way. The Holy Spirit has filled you and the fruit of the Spirit comes out of you. Where you used to have a tongue of death, now you find that you have patience and peace and self-control. And suddenly the fruit of the Spirit comes out where God says, I have a priesthood that's established through Jesus Christ and I've made a nation of priests. And the evidence of that comes out in the fruit, the blossom of the rod that once was dead and now is alive. You are a covenant people and it will never end. Why have I brought this to you today? It's not just because marriage is under assault. 
It's not just because our culture is dying for knowing these things. They're literally dying, wishing they knew. I'm telling you this because we have forgotten who we are. And we start to live life by emotions and feelings instead of knowing the legal reality of what he has done. God is judge and lawyer. And he has made for us a covenant, cut a marriage with himself where we are united to him. This is your birthright. This is who you are. And so when you come and you pray and say, Lord, I'm praying for my neighbor that they might know you, understand by the right of the covenant as a joint heir with Christ, you are speaking as if Christ himself to the Father. When you come to him and you say, Lord, I'm struggling, help me change my attitude, the Holy Spirit says, yes, because he's all about sanctifying you. He's all about making you look like Jesus. He's all about the covenant fruition in our lives. When you come to him and you say, Lord, I need you, forgive me because I have failed you, he immediately says, yes, not because you've prayed the right prayer, but because Jesus paid the penalty for us. Some of us are still trying to have purification of bad consciences. Some of us are still trying to be the mediator to bring just the right sacrifice to God. Stop. Rest in the covenant that he has called you. He has made you his and you belong to Jesus. So what do you do? Come to him in the knowledge of the covenant and say, Lord, on the basis of your covenant, I trust you. And I'm telling you, if you start there, the emotions follow. That doesn't mean we're never going to have depressing days. But man, it changes everything. Suddenly you start thinking about life in terms of what is God doing instead of how can I be happy. It changes everything. So how do you do that? Read the book of Hebrews. Rest in the covenant. Trust in Jesus. And then proclaim his word as a priest. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Can you all stand? Lord, thank you for your covenant. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Lord, you are so good, and I praise you. Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us in our sin and death, but, Father, you sent your Son, that he would cut this new covenant with us, that he would take all the punishment for sin, that he would bring us into communion with you. He's our mediator. He's our prophet. He's our king. He's our high priest. Lord, you're our everything. And so, Father, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And, Lord, I ask you that a revelation of your covenant would fall on every person here. That they would know you and that their marriage to you is on purpose. And that you, O oh Lord, by your love and your grace, you chose us. And that our life rests in your perfect legal hands. Thank you, God. Thank you for your covenant. Lord, we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. I ask you, Lord, that you would make all these things real to us this week that we would see you and experience you and feel you. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint and fall on every person, that they would be built up in you through your spirit. Lord, that they would hear from you, that they would come next week, Lord, moving in your power and ready to minister to their friends and to the other people that are here. Lord, I ask you for all that harvest of people that you're giving us who don't know you yet, but Lord, you have already, you've already designated them. And so I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, let us be faithful in our day. Lead us and help us. Fill us with wisdom that we would be a blessing to you. Amen. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have a fantastic week. God bless you, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.